Good evening, and welcome to Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we are on Frank Marino. Frank is from Mahogany Rush. Frank is Mahogany Rush. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm glad we could talk. I've been a big fan of you, your playing, your your guitar tone, uh, and your your skills for many, many, many years. Um, so this is exciting to get to talk to you. Uh, people aren't aware, Frank, you've been playing since the way early 70s when your first album came out. Um, yeah, actually started in 69, 68, 69. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. That is unbelievable. Now you start planning on like 14 and 16. Did you ever take any lessons or are they all intuitive? No, nothing. I never even, I never even practiced. <laughs> I just, I just played, you know, like that was practice for me was, playing with people but I never really understood how one was supposed to practice like I don't know go into your room and learn a scale or something and do that so I just never I I just never did that I just played with people and tried to keep up you know when you play with people and they do things you try to sort of keep up with them and imitate them and you know do what they do, and that's how that's how I practiced. It was just by playing. Well, it it was what makes me say that is because like there's a lot of guitar players that can't read music and didn't have formal training, and those are usually the, the best guitar players out there. But that doesn't surprise me. But what's amazing is is you have the cover songs you do, and you've done, are like so so close and so good. That it's amazing that you weren't taught anything that you figured everything out yourself. Well, I'm a big proponent of that. Like, I know that today uh, a lot of young kids use tab and tablature and written music and stuff like that. And some people have asked me uh, over the years, hey, you know, have you got a tab for this or a tab for that? And I always tell them the same thing. Just use your ears. Like, that's a a way better way of... of, um, of learning something because it's almost like you have a, you know, when you have something in your memory, like really well ensconced in your memory. If I, if I want to learn something, for instance, if if you've got a, if you, if I go to your band and you've got a song that I've got to learn, rather than me be told here's how the song goes and there's four bars of this and six bars of that. Rather, I just say, just play the song to me a lot of times so that it sticks in my head like it becomes like my own song. You know, when you think right. of a, a song by a, t- a band that you like, like, I don't know, in my case was The Beatles, you know, you, you can just sort of sing the whole song in your head. And that's like having, if you have to go back while you're, while you're translating it to your instrument, it's like you have an instant rewind because it's in your head. You don't have to like. It's not like you're dropping a needle on a record and backing it up to hear it again, right? It's like you have an instant rewind. So, so learning. If I have to learn anything, and I have from time to time had to learn stuff to be able to play with some other guys that I was producing or that I was playing on their records. Uh, all I ever did was say. Just let me hear the song over and over again until I have it in my head, stuck in my head. And then I just, my hand just plays it. Like, you know, it's almost like if you learn certain, if you hear a word enough times, your mouth just can say it, just because you heard it enough times. 
and it's that's sort of how I approach uh, guitar. That's incredible. And there's a gift you have, though, too, because I've been playing guitar for a few years, and uh, every now and then I can pick out notes, but I could never just go cold like, like, some, like some guitars can and play it. Yeah, but Sean, Sean, let's make it easy for a second. Let's say you take something that's in your head that's so stuck in your head, like row, row, row your boat or twinkle, twinkle, little star. No, Nobody has to show that to you. Like you'll just be able to figure it out because it's so stuck in your head. Right. I can come out with parts of it that are similar, but it's never the same. I think I'm talking about like being able to replicate it to a way that you're like, oh, my God, that's, that's not only the cover of a song. It's like the cover plus stuff. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Because it, <laughs> I've always felt if you want to cover a tune, somebody else's tune, I've always sort of felt I'm not the kind of guy who says, let's change it into something else. Um, you know, I mean, there's been one or two times I've sort of changed the tune, you know, because it wasn't like exact, not exactly like the original, but I like to do homage to the artist that did it. Right. And it's almost like, um, if I had to paint the Mona Lisa, it wouldn't look like the real Mona Lisa, but you'd know it was the Mona Lisa because it would have the smile and it would, you know, you, you right. sort of pay right. homage to the artist. But occasionally, you want to change a tune, and in, on two occasions, I did change a tune. Uh, when I did Norwegian Wood, I changed it quite a lot, and uh, when I did uh, on, on my real live album, as well as on my DVD, uh, when I do my version of what is Red House, it's not mm -hmm. at all Red House. The only thing a Red House about it are the lyrics. The rest of yeah. it is like a jazz blues. So that was a little changed, but I do that because I really prefer that kind of blues to 12-bar blues. But other than those couple of times, when you want to play a song, whether it's Roadhouse Blues or or Purple Haze or whatever, and you're covering it or Johnny Be Good, you want it to be similar to the original, but not, not an exact copy of the original. I, I hear you. That's, that's what I enjoy. I was actually listening to your version of Norwegian Wood this morning. Uh, I, I dig it. I'm a big Beatles fan, so. Uh, oh, good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you I know, there are the people Beatles. today who say, who are the Beatles? I heard they were a band. <laughs> I swear to God, it makes me crazy. Um, my kids know who they are. I grew up, I got, you know, my, my first, some of my first records were the Beatles and Johnny Cash, uh, Chuck yeah. Berry, you know, yeah. that's what I grew up on. And then from there, I, and I, I listened. I listen to all kinds of music, and that's the shows about all kinds of music. There's no guilty music, but there's a lot of people to open their minds, and hopefully the people that aren't aware of you, they're gonna go back and listen to you. I mean, we can't go in depth, but there's other stuff on you. But this is picking your brain and talking today, and, and hopefully, you know, bringing people to the world of, of your music. Because there's a few people in the '70s for guitar players, and it's I can tell you people that aren't aware of who you are, people that love Steve I like I do, and and, and you know Zach Wild, all those, they all. Love you, or influenced by you, so that's a little starting point for some people. But to me, you're like like you and, and Uli. You guys are the guitarists that just like had a tone out the gate from the '70s, and you're like, what's going on here? You know, strong to the very beginning, and always cut your own path. Um, and to this day, I mean, you you've made your mark, and 
the question well, is, hopefully. Me, yeah, yes, I guess. for me, tone has been more important than performance, which is why I learned to build my own amps and build my own pedals and stuff like that, because I just found that you could you could take a great performance and play it through a really bad tone and it doesn't sound like a great performance anymore. <laughs> and you could take a really sort of so-so performance. It could be four notes, but with a really, really good tone. And all of a sudden, it's 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 dynamic. It's it's really, really majestic. And I think of guys like Jimi Hendrix, who everyone admires, or a lot of guitar players admire as being one of the pioneers, if not one of the best ever at that type of music. And if you think about it, Jimi Hendrix never played fast. He never really performed quickly. I don't think, other than a couple of finger rolls in Machine Gun, uh, he never played more than eighth notes or maybe sixteenths once in a while, once in a very blue moon. And yet people hold him up as one of the greatest guitar players of all time. So it's really not about performance in, in the case of Jimi Hendrix. It's about sound. And, and Richie Havens once said to me, who, and Richie knew him, <clears throat> and I knew Richie, and Richie Havens once said to me that Jimmy didn't play the guitar, he played the amplifier. And that made a lot of sense. It does. He, to me, he was always an innovator. He came up with a sound and his songs was something you've never heard before. Right. And, and he, he marked that in a way... You're right, it's about his tone and his sound, and he never shredded. He never did anything guitar work that was – you never heard – what he was doing, you never heard before. So it's not right. that you couldn't do it, but where did it come from? Right, you know? and you see, this is this – is, now I'll say something that will get all the – you know, there's these Hendrix people who are like cultists. They love everything he does, but I don't love everything that they've put out on Jimi Hendrix. I think most of the posthumous stuff is not good. And I the agree reason with you. it's the reason it's not good is because it's got such a horrible tone. But if 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 in in the midst of all of the posthumous Jimi Hendrix uh, releases, you've got one or two songs here and there that have amazing tone, and that would be on Hendrix in the West. There's a version of Red House that has a great tone, and a version of Little Wing that has a great tone, and even though that's among the pantheon of other songs that have the terrible tone, those seem like as great as anything Jimmy ever did when he was making records. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really, at the end of the day, what are we giving people? Are we giving them simply a performance or are we giving them a sound that can touch them emotionally, that can make them remember when they leave the gig that they had a certain feeling from that sound, and I think it's sound. I think that's really what we're what we're giving them, or at least it's what we should be giving them. Because if it's simply performance, just imagine this: imagine seeing somebody as as great a performer, let's say a Steve Vai, who can really do amazing things with the guitar, or Alan Holdsworth, or or uh, Emmanuel. You know, look at those guys. Now imagine all of a sudden you had to watch them perform and their amp was off and you were hearing just the direct sound. 
of them playing in the room on an electric guitar, like, you know, like without any kind of amplifier, the performance wouldn't seem as amazing anymore. So it's really about it's really about the tone that you create with with the notes, with the bends, with the vibrato and the way the listener hears that. Otherwise, it's like watching a dog ride a bicycle on a high wire in a circus. <laughs> it's amazing to watch, but right. you don't end up leaving and remembering that. But after you you go and you see something like a Jimi Hendrix or or some of the great players that also use sound, when you leave, you remember. You remember the songs, you remember the sounds, you remember the way you felt. This is what I've always just tried to do, and and it was it was hard to do with the available equipment, so I had to learn to build my own. Were you electronically skilled before? Because people no. I just want to back, back up. People don't realize Frank Snell is a great guitar player and a, and a guitarist guitar player. He's also built his own equipment. All the, he's been doing it for the seventies, building his own incredible equipment to make his own sound, which is another thing that people, you know, I don't think a lot of people are aware of. And nowadays, nobody does it because you can just download everything. But you were creating songs through electronics just to get a sound, which is a whole other level right. of processing. In the very beginning, when I started doing that, I would have to go to guys who were builders but who weren't musicians necessarily. And I would say to them, uh, can you make my fuzz pedal do this, or can you make this do that, or can you make my amp sound a bit more like this? And so they would translate what I was saying into some form of electronic version of it, and they would do it, and I would say, okay, that's closer, that's closer. But it was never really getting exactly what I had in my head, obviously, because I couldn't make them hear what was in my head. I'm no doubt right, they could have done right. it if they could have heard it. But So I decided to learn how to do it. And I figured if I learn what they know, then I'll be able to more properly translate what's in my mind when I'm building an amplifier or building a pedal. And start, I started with pedal. And... Um, you know, now I can. So I can have a tone like um, that some people think, wow, that's a really organic, unique tone. What they're really sort of saying is they're really saying that they like what I have in my head in the first place. And I think, I think <laughs> everyone, I think at what every, I think everyone would like that tone, which is why, you know, I decided to, to, uh, to maybe make uh, make some pedals and and have some people have the ability to have those tones. And that is a, 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 is a scoop to the show that you're actually going to make these pedals, which is pretty awesome. Um, have you started to work on these or? or oh yeah, I've started. Yeah, it's it's close to being a reality. Um, you know, like I I wouldn't. I'm not the type of person who would halfway do something. <laughs> No. So, you know, once I know that I'm really, once I know that a person who takes one of these really is going to get that sound, that's when I would say, okay, this is a reality. We're really going to go ahead and do this, because, you know, I when I I want to tell people, listen, do you like the sound that I have when I do electric reflections of war? Well, if you use this, you're going to have that sound. 
Nice. Well, that's the thing I think, and I was saying earlier, your tone, a lot of guitar players love is, most guitar players will spend their life trying to chase tone, tone chasing, you know, down the rabbit hole to find their sound. Right. In my head, I can name probably, I'm not going to say, but you know, 10 people out of the gate had their own tone. And you can go to your early days, like your Chuck Berry, or to your Eddie Van Halen, to you. There's like 10 people that out of the gate, I think Willie had his own sound from the very beginning. I think there's certain people that had a tone right out right in the beginning that that the cars look for their whole life. Yeah, and the common, but all of those tones that we like, like for instance, we like we love Hendrix's tone. We love Richie Blackmore's tone. We love certain they're they're sort of staples yeah. that that really define certain people. Whether it's Holdsworth or you know, and he's he's playing jazz, okay. So, but we still say, wow, what a sound, right? But Holdsworth is awesome. What do all these ha- sounds have in common? That's basically the, the electronics man now who has to put that together. He has to find what is common about all these sounds because, yeah, they're all a little different from each other, but they have something in common. And what I call that is they have organic reality. They sound real. And it's not a question of good or bad. Good or bad is subjective, and someone could say, well, you know, what one man's good is another man's bad. But everyone will have to agree if something's real. Like if I have a voice speaking over a speaker, whether that voice sounds like the person's in the room really or not, whether it sounds electronic, that's the difference. When you're producing a record or or mixing uh, for an album, the first thing I want to get is not whether the drum sounds good or the bass sounds good or the guitar sounds good. I want to know that it sounds real. Afterwards, I can make it good or bad, but, you know, but really it has to be something that everyone agrees on, and that's sort of organic reality that sounds like it doesn't sound fake. And one of the problems with the latest pieces of gear that come out, these Axe effects and uh, these modeling amplifiers, is that they don't sound realistic, there's something fake about them. And of course there is, because they're modeling. You know, they don't really produce the sound that the original they're trying to copy produces. You think they do when you play it over a small speaker in your in your right. DAW. But when you if you get on stage and try to play with one of these things, it's like it sounds like a small, like a kazoo, you know? Like, so, do you think the absence, the absence of having a real tube? Makes a difference? Well, it's not so much the tube. I know a lot of people think it's the tube, and, and but you have to understand that the reason the tube amps freak people out and make you know make them like them so much is because by definition, tube amps must have a transformer yes. on the output. And it's really the transformer that you're liking because the transformer has a kind of organic compression and the fact that the amp is operating at super, super high voltages. So from a physics point of view, you're just transmutating one form of power into another. And if if you try to do the same thing with just the sound, but you don't have the power, then it's not really quite the same, is it? Uh, these smaller amps and, and, and uh, modelers, they're not working at 400 and 500 and 800 volts. 
they're working at quite a bit less. Yeah. So there's a fakeness to the power. It's like a okay. sort of a, you know, you could stand in a large room and feel its magnificence, or you right. could look through a keyhole at a large room, and you'll still see <laughs> the large room, but it's not. you won't feel its magnificence because you're looking through a keyhole at it. All right, that's a good example. I I, I don't have a, a a full opinion on either because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go deep enough in either of those to explain my to understand myself to have a, a to have a pony in that race. So mm. I appreciate that uh, that breakdown. But uh, to me, when you say organic, a lot of those artists you name to me feels I don't the word be warmth. The way it touches your heart in a way, it has a feeling. Sure. That's in that a lot of the organic to me when I hear the word organic. It hits me the same way. Like it feels good in your heart. Maybe not the exact same exact sound, but it feels something feels very. It just grabs you to the point where it kind of pulls some emotion out of you. Well, I and can tell you what I can tell you why that is technically, uh, Sean. I can tell you really? there's that's not for nothing. Okay, like there's a technical why to those questions. When we say it's warm, or it's cold, or it's you know, or or you it makes you get goosebumps. It, that's not just by luck that it does that. It's not by spirituality that it does that. There are technical reasons for that. And one of the one of the main technical reasons, well, let's go backwards. One of the things that takes that away, that makes that not happen, is when you have too much stuff going on, you end up with a comb filter effect. You end up with frequencies that are out of phase with one another and they're creating false frequencies. Now, you don't know that from your ear, but your brain knows it. Your brain understands it because it computes what it's hearing. And it computes it as being not real or being offensive in some way. But when the sound is properly organic, the brain is going to say, oh, that's better. That sounds more real. That's what I meant when I said real. Yeah. Less um, less out-of-phase conditions that, that shouldn't be. You know, mathematically, uh, they're wrong for the brain because the brain computes through the ears what it hears. It's exactly the same as with the eyes. <clears throat> what the eyes see, you can tell when something is real or when something is CGI. And if it's really yeah. good CGI, it's doing a really good job of making you believe you're seeing it. But you automatically know you're not really seeing King Kong, you know, because right. it's on a television. <laughs> so so there's something a little bit unreal about that as opposed to if you really saw, you know, a 50-foot ape, you'd, you'd feel a little bit different. The more real it becomes, the more you feel different. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good breakdown, actually. Thank you. I didn't, uh, <laughs> I like that. So well, the key to the confused. recordist, yeah. just just a little hint to the person yeah. who's recording their music. Less truly is more. Don't use all the plugins and all the EQs and all the compressors and all the reverbs and all the all the stuff they like to use because every time you use one, you get farther and farther away from the original thing you recorded. Keep it as close to the original as possible. And if you need to put highs on something or lows, 
go and move the microphone before oh, really? recording it. Yes. He's saying microphone placement too, huh? Yeah, absolutely, know, because that's, that's where the phasing begins. I think that's the problem. I think a lot of people get confused on some of these facts where it becomes, and then the, the terms become used interchangeably when they're not terms that should be used interchangeably. Correct. Once become part of our, and once they become part of our vocabulary, even for somebody who's a music follower and play instrument over the years, some of these terms have been changed and moved around so much now that it becomes really confusing to people. And well, becomes, let's take the term EQ. Everybody thinks that's some sort of device that that you know sweetens what you have or or adds coloration it's really equalization an eq the intention of using an eq is to make equal those frequencies which are not equal it's an equalizer yep and so it's a tool that's meant to flatten out things that are not flat to pull up frequencies that are that are notched and to, and to notch down frequencies that are too high in a total picture. An EQ is to a single sound what a concert mixer is to all the different microphones, all the faders. You're making a mix yep. with an EQ. But they're misunderstood, and they, people, are, people say, put EQ on it, as if, right. <laughs> as if it's a thing. <laughs> And it's not, you know, it's a it's a perspective. It's it's a it, it, it's something that changes the perspective. Putting EQ on it is like saying, you know, taking a camera and saying, put mirrored lenses on it or something, you know, to make it <laughs> look like like something else. But anyway, you're right that the terms are misused and sometimes overused and misunderstood. Now that, we could, I'm talking from a mixer's perspective and making albums, but that can right. also apply to simply the guitar player who's got the amplifier and the coil, you know, in the jack, and he jacks into it. You can use pedals, but sometimes one pedal or the fact that you have many in your chain give you a sense of non-reality at the end, and the guitar doesn't sound like like a like an organic guitar anymore. So right, my point the, is to a build a pedal that doesn't do that. Are you going to do, is it, now is it going to be one pedal that has a bunch of different um, sounds to it, or a couple different sounds to your no, sound? Or no, 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 no. Each pedal should do one thing, but it should do it well, or maybe two things. So basically, if you're building a distortion pedal, which most, most pedals are, some form of overdrive, right, distortion, right. Um, you want to make sure that the overdrive itself or the distortion, the fuzz itself, if that's what it is, you want to make sure that there's an organicness to it so that when you turn it on, it doesn't suddenly sound like some different guitar in some different room it should sound very much like what you sounded like before you turned it on, except it should give you the sustain and and the you know the the power. But it shouldn't all of a sudden turn your your you know two thousand dollar Stratocaster into something from Fisher Price Toys. Right. <laughs> it would hurt if you made your three hundred dollars guitar sound awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, so many amplifiers have, you know, many amplifiers have a great clean channel, and then you go to the, dis, the quote, unquote, distortion channel, and all of a sudden it's like a different amplifier. And that's yeah. just not how I build them. You know, like I build them so that you don't lose the sound that you had when you go to the next sound. You just have a different version of it that's bigger and fatter and, you know, has more sustain. So my pedals, the pedals I use, I decided I'm not just going to build pedals for people, you know, just for the sake of building pedals. I'm going to actually give them copies of my pedals. Because most people keep that stuff secret. I don't do that. Well, that's awesome that you share it because, I mean, it's a good sound. People enjoy it. So. Well, the reason I share it, or I want to share it, is because I want people to make music with it. Keep making music because we have, today, I, you know, I'm sorry to say, I don't want to sound like an old timer saying those were the good old days, but they really were. <laughs> they really were right. the good old days. And it's very hard to find today new young people being being as interesting with their sound and with their guitars as as it was in the uh, in the glory days. I think after the almost probably nineties two thousands, you know, the, the 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 views of guitar playing kind of changed a little bit. Yeah, lot. it's kind of and, yeah. and, and, and 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 nowadays, I really think if you're a guitar player, you need to go back to the '60s and the '70s, and of course. The well, 80s. they are, they are, they are going you got, back. You, got, you, you have to start back. You actually have to start back to you know, the very very beginning of guitar because those are the sounds, those different types of sounds are where you need to start. Because the people starting now are going to their favorite bands that are bands now. Those sounds are, are, are watered-down versions of, of versions of copies of copies of copies. They need to go right. to the beginning. And, you know, it's funny because here's what most people don't know. is I, I actually started as a drummer as a kid. So yeah. I am a drummer. I'm still a drummer. And in the drum world, drummers who are listening to this will understand this, there was this time when all of a sudden people started experimenting with different kinds of drums, and they had drums with no bottom heads and then they had drums that were bent like tubes and they had drums you know made out of glass and they went through all of these different iterations but in the end they all ended up back with standard drums <laughs> you look at them today they said you know what all that stuff really was, where what were we thinking you know yeah. and if you look at it today the best sounding drums are are tried and true drums double headed drums that have all the proper sizes you know they're yep. not uh, they, they're not re-engineered there but there was a time when it was awful the drums were getting worse and worse and worse and they were sounding some of them were sounding like cereal boxes you know yes now people have gone back to realistic drum sounds and uh and and I'm glad they did so it's the same with the guitars you know you can go down the rabbit hole and say, here's the axe effects, and here's this one, and here's that one, and you know this will make you sound like so and so. But at the end of the day, you're right. You go back to what really worked, and you find out that that works, and it works forever. Yeah, I mean, you got, you have to go from there. And honestly, thank thank goodness the people have gone back to drums. The people need to record all their live drums. You can do whatever you want in your house. 
But you've got to go to a proper drum place to record your drums. You That's cannot right. do it in your bedroom because nothing makes you crazier. Because you probably have a good drum sound to a lot of people, but if you're going to try doing it at your friend's house or some other studio, you can't. You do what you can afford. Honestly, that's cool. But if you have the, if there's one thing you can spend money on, it's get a drum room to record your drums. You know. Yeah, and the reason the reason is, the ceilings are too low in your house. <laughs> right. That's just yeah. the problem, because ceilings are eight feet high, right? So I want you to think about something. A guy says, "I've got a wonderful big basement." to do my my drums in it's huge it's 30 feet long and 20 feet wide and you go wow that must be great the problem is it's eight feet high now yep. the sound doesn't know that it's eight feet high it just knows there's an eight foot dimension in one of the directions because it's spherical when sound emits it emits spherically so now imagine a guy saying to you i've got a great drum room it's 30 feet high and 20 feet long, but it's only 8 feet wide. <laughs> and he sticks his drums in one end. You would never even consider recording that. Right. That's basically putting walls on a drum riser. The drums yeah. can't possibly sound very good in that kind of constricted place. So that's the problem with saying I have to do the drums in my basement. But... If you do have to do the drums in your basement, there's a way to record them so that they don't sound like the ceilings were eight feet high. And that means that you don't place the mics in the same direction as you might have done if you had a high ceiling. Right. Because it's a question of where the sound ends up bouncing and coming back out of phase. If you don't trap it or if you don't make it bounce back in phase, you're going to get that really that sound that you can't stand that tells you go get a room. Yeah, right. Right. That's, that's, it's important. It's important because you, I mean, obviously, everyone has to play what they can afford and do. And I encourage people to make any kind of music if you do have to make it on a cardboard box. But <laughs> as yeah. opportunity goes, put the time into the as much as you can. Is follow the rules. Yeah, if you can't do micing, rooms, drums. Because yeah, guitar you can do a little more, you a little more uh, freedom with, with a computer, and an amp and some things you can do a little bit there. The drums, no. <laughs> well, what I, I, you know, you know yeah. I experimented with every kind of, you know, in the early albums I did it all, 15 mics, 20 mics, different rooms. I did whatever it was. I tried it. In the end, when I got to me albums like Eye of the Storm, basically uh, I used one mic, I one microphone. One microphone and one speaker. And it wasn't even a condenser. <laughs> it was an SM57. The just placed in front of the, of the speaker. And did the whole album with that. And really? it sounds great. So I got away from the problems that of the earlier albums that were creating more problems than they were curing and ended up taking nights and nights of mixing to cure the problems that the miking had made in the first place. So my advice to, to people is mic it very mic with one, maybe two, but don't start going crazy and make sure that the mic sound sounds great before you push the red button to record. You, you would be, this would be a good book for uh, to put out, you know. 
with your knowledge because yeah. you you would put it out in a working person. I would actually just got a degree in recording, and mm. in the nineties, and 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 then, then after that I learned the analog, and then afterwards I wanted to keep up, so I went and learned digital. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. But to that point, but the way you explain it, you break it down, you kind of you, you meet both worlds. And you I do. Think not some everything people, has think, its some use. Don't. I, yeah, I don't believe in being a purist. No. Okay, everything has its use. There's good things about the digital world. There's good things about the analog world, and everything has its place and everything has its use. The problem is, where do you use it? I, I liken it to this. There are 88 keys on a piano, and at one time or another, every one of those keys is the wrong note. But at another time, every one of those keys is the right note, depending on the context of what it's being used. We don't throw out a bunch of keys just because they were wrong in one song, because they're right in another. So it's the same with our digital world, our analog world, yeah. our pedals, our, our direct guitars, Whatever we're using, there's a use for everything. It's just that use it in the right place, and you'll find out that you'll make some great recordings. Um, and, for instance, I'm never going to edit tape again. Come on, you like I mean, why, yeah, why would I do that? <laughs> you know, like it's, I used to edit two-inch tape like, like it was going out of style. But... Yeah. If I have to make edits now, I'm gonna, not going to edit them on my tape machines, and I still have my tape machines. I learned. I just I learned. I learned on a, that splice on a tape machine. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. It's amazing you know, though that the sound that people get. Yeah, but the problem is even having a tape machine. Like I have a Studer 24 track machine, and you have to align these machines. You can't just yeah. turn them on and use them. You know, they have to. The TEDs have to be aligned. The amplifiers have to be aligned. Everything has to be done properly, so that it works like it's supposed to. If it, if you don't, then you're then don't even use the machine or use it because you like the sound of its preamps and send it directly on to the to the digital recorder. But yep. at, at the end, it's going to become digital anyway because nobody, you know, unless you're going all the way to vinyl, and some are. You're going to get to the digital world at some point. So if I have to do editing, that's, I'm going to do that for sure in the digital world. I'm not going to start right. cutting up tape. No, but I, my point was when digital first cut right to digital, like anything, mm -hmm. everybody went fast and hard into it, mm -hmm. and everything was there, like way to digital, and everyone was forgetting everything that they learned and enjoyed about analog. Just like right. the CDs, everything went out the window, like with frequency and tone right. and, and, de right. and depth. And the feeling, right. and even the space of the song, when digital came in the studio, and in, in any kind of and things that came out in production, that went away for a while. In, in my eyes, especially in a lot of production. Um, well, there are there are inherent problems. Now. Yeah, there, but because digital has inherent problems, let's face it, even the best digital recordings today, there's inherent built-in inherent problems to the digital process. And one of those problems is that it's a series of still pictures of the audio and that there are things happening in between those still pictures as fast as they may be whether it's 96k or not um, and then there's the you know, the bit rate whether it's 24 bits or 8 or whatever so these are built into the system 
So you're going to have, uh, as an example, if 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 you're mixing something, let's say through your mixer, you're on you know DAW mixer, and it's going down to a final listen of two mix, what we call a two mix, a stereo output, right? That stereo output is simply a description of where all your faders are. And if you move one fader, now it needs a new description at the stereo output, where you change an EQ or you add something. The overall, the final mix is now has to be described differently. Now think about this. If you're only limited to 24 bits and you have to divide and, ha and you need a number that's 25 bits to properly describe the change, you don't have that extra bit. So what the digital converters do is they round the number to the next closest one. Now that's fine when you round the first one or the second one, but start making a thousand changes. And all of a sudden you're, you're getting farther and farther away from the original and you're saying, how come it sounded real in the beginning and now it sounds fake? That's inherent to digital. How do you get around that? Do less. Get the sound first. Don't, you know, yeah. and then commit. Do less. Don't say I'm going to fix it in the mix or there's a plug-in from Waves that I can use or something like that. That's going to be that's going to kill your your sound. Anyway, that's the way I approach it and I think uh, I approach the DVD that way and I think it sounds uh I I think it sounds phenomenal. I've yet to get it. I I on my list of getting it for Christmas actually. <laughs> actually talk briefly about that. I want to we're running out of time. You, you actually just put out re recently in the world of COVID, everything's changed, time span. But you just put out a nice uh, a, a set of music. Can you talk about that a little bit? People can check it out. The concert, the the DVD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's six hours of music. It's it's six Phenomenal. straight hours. It's on two formats, DVD and Blu-ray. I suggest use the Blu-ray, and you get the DVDs anyway. Uh, and yep. there's a book of 180 pages that does a, has a lot of explaining, of which I wrote half the book personally, and the other was written by a journalist. So I think it's a great package, and there are some tracks from it that are on the Internet now, if people want to see, you know, they're there for people to hear for free. Uh, if they want to see uh, what it is, I would suggest uh, going to official Frank Marino YouTube page and... Um, and watching the videos of the stuff that we've put out now. Yeah, the link will be below this, this interview also. Um, mm -hmm. It's something good for people to care and check you out. You have a ton mm -hmm. of albums out. Um, you not you're not you, you were going to be on the road, but you didn't for medical reasons. Are you in a spot where you're going to be doing anything else live or recording at least? My system hasn't um, recovered yet. People tell me it will. Um, I'm hopeful it will, and if it does, then I would consider the road again. But as it is now, the road is not something I'm considering at all. Um, recording is another matter. Um, obviously, putting out these pedals, if I do it, is another matter. Yep. But unless things change, I can't do the road. And, and besides, at this point, how can anyone do the road with the way it well, right, right. cost? I just meant like, meant like some live performances. If, you're, if your body's physically 
really come to it because you love. I mean, I would think so. You are you're a performer. The, the yeah. music engages you. So to also not be able to do something you love to be able to perform is something different than not being on touring on the road. You know what I'm saying? That's where yeah. it seems you know a bummer where you're like I'm an artist and I play, and I love to do it and I just can't do it right now. Um, I'm more talking about like we be able to play live at least do something for, even if it's just for yourself. I mean. Well, I do do that. <laughs> okay. Well, well I mean, you know, some of, the, some of the, the reports had you out. Like, at first, like, it was private, and then it's like, that's not with your shoulder being frozen. So there isn't a ton of information no, out there not, that I don't people want to think pry. It's the shoulder. People think it's the shoulder. It's not the shoulder. There's a systemic problem that I don't want to get into. But okay, uh, I respect that. But, yeah, but um, no, it's not. But I'm told, wait, wait, you'll see, it'll get better. Well, so far it's been two years, hasn't gotten any better, but I'm still waiting. And if it does, then yes, I would consider the road. But then there's another problem as soon as I consider the road. Can we afford to go on the road anymore? Yeah, that's I heard gas is 10 bucks a gallon. I mean, you know, it's like it's becoming impossible to go on the road because it's not like you make millions of dollars on these tours. No, it's about merch at this point, you know. Yeah, and I've never been I've never been one with a lot of merch either. Right. I've never been a merch merchant, you know. So no. that would be a whole new way of of looking at things, you know. But, I, I, uh, I think you start at the basics. You being able to play as an artist, being able to play like you could play before, or, or a play that makes you happy, I think is the most important thing. And I think the fans would like that too, just to know that you can still play or do what you enjoy. They won't, you well, know that I, mean? I can do. I I, okay. I do it every day. So well, that's that's, that's not a problem, and especially As a with fan, the pedals. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, especially with the pedals. Of course, I'm doing it every day because I'm trying out the pedals all the time. Excellent. This is this is very good. Thank you. I want to thank you for taking some time today, and hopefully, we can get together and talk again. Maybe when well, the pedals are going out, we'll, I'd love to do this again. Um, yeah, anytime, anytime. This, this, excellent. It's been good. I'll put it up. I want to thank you for being on the show. This has been great. People, check well, out the website. For look below. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank the peop- I thank the people for listening if they listened this far. <laughs> they will. They're loyal. I have a good audience. Um, all right. Uh, so I'll cut here. But So thank you. I'd like to have you back on again um, if you want. We can talk some more. You're super intelligent, and I love talking music with you. Um, it's, it's a rare commodity nowadays <laughs> to have that kind of knowledge. So, uh, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll send the links to you when this is done. And then okay. as you get closer to your, your – your, I'll keep an eye out when you're um, – how far out do you think you are before announcing when your, your pedals are going to be out? Or will be in the Could website be as early as a few weeks. Okay. It's, it depends. I, I won't do it unless it really, really works well. Right. So I'll I'm keep, not the point where I'm, evalu- where I'm evaluating that. All right. Well, we'll get, I'll check back after the new year and see where you're at, you know. All right. I'd love, to prom- I'd love to promote them, okay? Call any time, man. You have the number. I will. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good All day. Right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.